Welcome to 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your book, your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. Last week, we saw that God told the people, this is it. This is the night. This is when you will be delivered from your slavery in Egypt. And God establishes the Passover feast. And we're going to continue looking at that establishment in verse 12. On the same night that I pass over or I pass through Egypt, I will strike down the firstborn of both people and animal, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So, We spoke last week and the week before about God's judgment on the firstborn. It is a terrible thing. I do not believe it was something that the Lord delighted in. But it was something that was brought upon the people of Egypt by their own rebellion. If you want to, if you missed those episodes, you can go back and and hear us talk more about those things. I think for this, uh, this morning, the thing to focus on is this. First, he says, I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. Think about the plagues that God has brought to the land of Egypt. The weather, the sun, the Nile River. All of these things represent different deities different false gods that the people uh, worshipped, that they revered. Um, My wife has an interest in ancient Egypt, and so we have watched uh, a few different programs, you know, Discovery Channel or National Geographic Channel, um, and it's been interesting to learn that they were a pantheistic uh, society. They believed in many gods. And so God is bringing those false gods down. He's saying, you have rejected the one and true God. I will show myself powerful over every one of them. And the final one I will show is my power over the gods of life and death itself. He says, the blood will be a sign for you where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. I thought it was interesting last week that it said in verse 7, they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the top of the doorframes of the houses where they are to eat the lambs. There was a connection between eating the Passover meal and the sign that was on the outside. Do I believe there was some sort of magic, some sort of spell or power in the blood splattered on those doorposts? No. I believe that the power was in the faith 
in the obedience of those people to do what God had commanded. God looked on them and said, they, they have done what was needed. I will pass over and not bring judgment onto that house. I personally believe that you could have sprinkled blood on a doorpost of a house where they had not partaken in the Passover meal, and I don't know that that would have the same assurance. I think there are many people who want to look good on the outside, and yet, what does God say? Put the blood on the house of those who have actually partaken. You can have, you can take communion. You can eat the bread and drink the cup. But if you do not have communion in your soul, in your spirit, if your spirit is not linked with the spirit of God through Jesus, then all you're doing is having a very unsatisfying meal. But if communion is a sign of what has happened internally, it's an external sign of what's happened internally, then it means a great deal. If you have been baptized you've been washed with water, but the Holy Spirit has not washed you in the blood of Christ, then you just got wet. You just got in some water. But if your sins have been washed away and you have been immersed in the blood of Christ spiritually and you have been cleansed of all unrighteousness, then the outward sign of baptism is a wonderful thing. No plague will touch when I strike Egypt. I do not believe that there is any judgment, any wrath left for Christians. One of the reasons that I care about the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church is the teaching that before the final judgment of this world, God will remove his church we will be caught up in the air. And we will be removed from that final period of judgment. I believe so strongly in that, not because it fills out some sort of end times uh, graph or chart. I don't know if you've ever seen this, you know, the sort of the preachers and they have a big chart or slideshow to explain all of the different scenarios that, that different people have thought might be happening in the final judgment of the world. I care nothing for those things. I care about this, that people know that God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. That God does not judge the righteous with the wicked. And if you and I have been made righteous because of Jesus, then there is no judgment or wrath left for us. God is not bringing the sword against us. So I do not believe that the church will experience those final judgment, the pouring out of the wrath of God. I have respect and appreciation for those who believe that the church will be there for part of it, and then we are removed right about the middle of the final seven-year period, because at least they, they believe the same important thing, that, that we are not left for the wrath of God. They haven't quite explained to me how the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, happens before that, but I'm not interested in arguing those things. I'm interested in people knowing that because of Jesus, all who are in Christ have had their judgment taken.
taken away. It was paid in full on the cross. Now, there, the Bible is indicative. It indicates that there is reward. And so will there be a sort of judgment in the sense of, of judging out reward? I, I think that is true. I think that all Christians will stand before God, and at the judging of the world, Jesus will say, that one's mine. And God will only see us through the filter of Jesus. At the same time, I do think that there are rewards for how we serve God. I don't believe, I've said this many times, but I think it's important, I don't believe that Billy Graham is more important than you are. I don't believe that name famous Christian person here is more important than you are. I believe we're all called to do what we're called to do. And if you do 100% of what God's called you to do, then you will receive 100% of the reward. And if Billy Graham only did 50% of what God called him to do, then he would receive less. That's my personal belief. I don't have a Bible verse to back that up. I'm, I'm saying that from both understanding the character of God and a, a, a broad reading of the scriptures. Verse 14 says, this is a day that you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to Yahweh, to the Lord. A lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. As we spoke about last week, yeast is a picture of sin and God has removed all sin from the sacrifice. Jesus had no sin. On the first day, you are to remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is what you may do. This was a blessing to the people. If you worked six days a week, that was what the ancient Israelites did. They worked six days a week. On the seventh day, they rested. They Sabbathed. If you worked six days a week, your whole life, hard labor, tilling the soil, tending the flocks, it wasn't an easy life. Here are seven days of paid vacation. If you think of it that way, this is a blessing to the people. For seven days, rest. For seven days, enjoy. For seven days, now, obviously, many of us would know that over the years, different traditions have come up about what is work and what is not. But as I read this, could somebody go swimming in the, in the creek? Oh, that's, that's work. I don't think that's work. Could somebody, could somebody draw just sketch something. I don't see why not. That would be restorative to my son's soul. Colton loves to draw. I think the concept of rest is something that we can embrace in our day. That we, when we schedule out our week, that we take a day or a set time and truly rest. Now, sometimes that means you got to work harder beforehand so I can get everything done, but to, to know that I will take this time and refresh myself, that I will Sabbath, that I will rest. On the first day, they were to remove the yeast from their house. They were to take out this symbol of sin and remove it. 
There's a great picture there of a cleansing work that I believe God wants to do in all of our lives. That God wants to take the things that have ensnared us, the sin that entraps us, and remove it. Sometimes it's literally taking something out. I believe firmly in sobriety. Can you have a, a alcoholic beverage and be sober? Yes. But some people can't. Some people just, how their brains are wired, can't just have one. They don't just have a drink. So removing a certain cabinet from your house, literally removing something might make sense. You might need to remove the modem from your house. You might need to get a dumb phone. If you can't keep your searches pure, if you can't keep yourself from engaging in, in, in immorality, then you might need to remove it. I, I had a friend in high school who took an axe and hacked up his modem because he was so tired of looking at pornography. And his parents then made him buy a new modem, and then they got all kinds of internet filters on things. But it was this idea of removing the sin, removing the impurity. I think what's happened is we have, at times, it's like a pendulum swing. And the church has so focused on being pure and holy that we live these false and hypocritical lives. But I think we're on the other end of the pendulum swing right now. And you hear people say, it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace. And they don't want to do the work, and they don't want to open themselves up so that God can do his work of removing the things that destroy us. Verse 17, celebrate the festival of the unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 25th. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your house. Anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. And a hyssop is sort of a reed. Um, it, it was, you know, these long kind of a reed like you might see in a pond. It had, had a sort of a bushy top. And it would actually be a great natural paintbrush. So they were supposed to take the hyssop and all of the blood from the animals that have been sacrificed, they are to dip the hyssop in the blood, and that is what they used to paint the blood on the door frames of their houses. No one shall go out of your door until the morning. That's interesting. As God passed through the land of Egypt, bringing death on every firstborn, but he said, I will pass over the houses that are marked with the blood of the sacrificed lambs. There was no protection outside of that house. Can a person be saved and not do this thing or that thing? Yes. At the same time, if a person does not 
show the fruits of repentance, if a person doesn't give any evidence that they have lived a, a life that is repentant, that, that says, I reject this world of sin and I embrace the free grace of Jesus Christ. If there's no evidence of that in somebody's life, I think it's fair to say, be warned. I don't know if you're saved or not. I don't know where you are with Jesus, but be warned. There is no protection outside of the blood. There's no protection. Verse 23, the Lord will go through the land and strike down the Egyptians. He will see the blood on the tops and the sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over the doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses or strike you down. Obey these instructions with a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped and the Israelites did just as Yahweh commanded Moses and Aaron. The responsibility to teach their children was not on the synagogue. It was not on the kids' synagogue program. It was on the fathers and on the mothers. As they performed these traditions, traditions can be good, by the way. Traditions can be great. I, I, I understand disliking pointless traditions, traditions that were at one point good and are now bad. And the Bible is full of examples of that. Traditions that were good and then the people turned it into a bad thing. But as these traditions, these good traditions were Re rehearsed and re reenacted every year, the children would ask, why are you doing this? Why do we do this thing? Why do we have Easter? Why do we have Christmas? Why do we take communion? Why is that person being baptized? We are to tell them of what God has done. The responsibility to raise your kids in the faith is not on our kids' church. It's on you. It's on me. I'm responsible for my kids. You're responsible for your kids. Somebody might say, well, I don't know. Then learn. Do you have a kid's Bible? I actually have started to get kid's Bibles for new believers because I believe it is the quickest and easiest way for you to learn the overall story and the kind of the main highlight reel. Can you learn? You don't have to be an expert in everything. There are points of Christian belief and doctrine and theology I'm not an expert in, so I call an expert or I find a book by an expert. You don't have to go to the pastor for everything, but you can learn and you can grow and you can tell your children the story of what Jesus has done. This is why we do these things, because of what God has done. I love hearing the stories. You know, I heard the story of a, a man who they were... Uh, gathered around Christmas and they were telling old stories and then one of the, the grandfather looked at the family and said they're telling old stories and some of them are terrible stories you know of kind of crazy Uncle Joe and and uh, you know great great grandma Irene who you know by by 9 a.m. you know she was she was uh, three sheets and all that and he looked at his family and he said that's who we were but that's not who we are God has delivered our family 
from these bondages. And we follow Jesus now. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up in the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for not a house, for there was not a house without someone dead. What a horrible thing. There is coming a time of horrors. There is coming a time of judgment. The question is, will we embrace the deliverance of God? The judgment does not have to fall on you. All covered in the blood of Jesus will be passed over from that judgment and enter into new life. I want to say thank you for joining us again for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study Podcast. New episodes are released every Thursday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at faithonhill.com. Follow us on social media at faithonhill. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. And you can email me at adam at faithonhill.com. God bless you, and we'll see you next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.